Hi there, I trust that you're all doing well and that you're enjoying this the series that we're doing on the praying church. I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying getting into the word and God has really been showing me so many things about this thing called prayer. But what I want to focus on today is a message entitled Guarding the Precious Things. I've been wanting to share this message with you for some time. Guarding the Precious Things. You see, to guard is to watch over something or someone in order to protect. That's what guarding is. And one of the challenges we face as believers is that very often we don't value the things that God values. You see, a lot of intercessors and prayer warriors are being wiped out, wiped out because they don't value the things that God values. What we value, he doesn't value. What he values, we don't value. And so we are deceived. And so because of this, we fail to protect that which is essentially precious to God. See, when something is precious, you will invest in securing it, won't you? You can actually tell the degree to which someone values something. It's the degree to which they protect that particular thing so that it's not stolen, so that it's not damaged. And in this message, I'm going to outline what the scriptures describe as things that need to be guarded and also what the scriptures simply state as being precious. Therefore, by implication, they must be guarded. You know, um, intercessors and prayer warriors, like I've been saying, are forfeiting their eternal rewards today, partly because so much has been added to them, but they haven't guarded these precious things. Now, whilst it's important for us to get tools for growing in prayer, and we've been emphasizing that very strongly in this series, in this particular message, I'm going to be emphasizing how crucial the character of the prayer warrior is. Our character is so important. Remember, we bring the whole self to prayer. And so we need to guard the precious things if we want our prayer lives to be effective. Now, before we talk about guarding precious things, let's remember that we are precious to God. And because of that, he watches over us and he protects us. So let's just have a picture of God and how he guards us because we're precious to him. He's our example. He's our role model. And so we want to first focus on him and then we'll see how we can respond to that by doing the same thing he does. In Isaiah 43 verse 1 to 5, it says, but now... This is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Why? You are mine. I belong to him. And so he protects me. I'm precious to him. So he guards me. In Daniel 10 verse 19, we see a picture of how someone, an individual can be precious to God. The angel who was speaking to Daniel said, do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed. He said, do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. Imagine that being highly esteemed by God. In Luke chapter 12, verse 6 to 7, it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. In comparison, look at this, verse 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. 
Isn't that powerful? You are precious to God. So don't be afraid. When we live in fear, there's a gap in our revelation of how much God loves us, how esteemed we are by God, how precious we are to God. In Zechariah 2 verse 8b, it says, For this is what the Lord Almighty says, After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. That's how precious you are to the Lord. Whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. Deuteronomy 4 verse 20 says, But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you now are. So you are his people. You belong to him. We're a royal priesthood. We're a chosen nation. Isn't that amazing? He's chosen us. He's chosen us. Now that we've seen how God guards what he deems to be precious to him, let's examine what we have been called to also guard. What have you been called to guard? You've been called to guard the following things. And I want to share with you eight things we've been called to guard. The first thing is your heart. We've been called to guard our hearts. Only you can do that. Only you can guard your heart. I can't guard your heart for you. You are responsible for your heart condition. You can't blame someone else for the condition of your heart. You can't say, it's your fault that I'm bitter. You can't even blame circumstances or situations because you can have two people who have the same experience. One comes out better, the other one comes out bitter. It's true. I can't guard your heart for you. I can't guard my children's hearts. I can't guard my wife's heart. Two individuals can go through the same thing and the one comes out better and the other one comes out bitter because guarding your heart is a function of choice. It's a function of choice. You see, so many people's lives today are so externally referenced. They're so externally referenced. You'll hear them saying, I'll be happy when my wife starts doing this. I will be joyful when my husband starts doing this. Oh, when my boss stops doing this, then I will be. No, happiness is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Joy is a spiritual quality based on Jesus in you. And that doesn't change. He says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Isn't that powerful? Above all else is actually a significant statement, isn't it? Because more than you guard your new car or your new watch or your new phone, you must be guarding your heart, guarding your heart. Recently, one of my kids was hiding, guarding some of his things in his room because he was anticipating that maybe one of his brothers will come and take that particular thing. And when you think of the things that he was hiding, they might not seem high value things, but he did that. He was guarding those things because they're important to him, obviously. My question to you is, what do you guard very diligently? You know, when I was in my mid-twenties, a man of God explained to me that he noticed my tenderness of heart and he encouraged me to guard it. And he went on to explain that there are many things that cause us to harden our hearts. So he was basically saying, remain tender, Paul. That is something precious, your tenderness of a heart right? Uh, But you can lose it. Your heart can become hardened because of a number of things. And he went on to say to me, uh, ministry, just being in ministry can harden you. 
aspects of marriage can harden you. I don't know about you, but what, what have you found hardening your heart? What have you found hardening your heart? Guard your heart. Keep it tender. Keep it malleable. Keep it soft and tender before God. You know, guards are conscious of what they let into an environment, aren't they? What do you let into your heart? You see, we let things into our hearts through our eye gate. We let things into our hearts through our ear gate. But how many of you know that? I'm responsible for that. I'm responsible for that. Predecide what you will allow into your heart. You know, sometimes you can watch certain movies and then you feel defiled afterwards because you've let something into your uh, through your eye gate and through your ear gate and now your heart is defiled because of what you saw and because of what you heard. It's your heart. It's not my heart. It's your heart. No one can manage it for you. There are many things to guard our hearts from. We have to guard our hearts from evil, from the lusts of the flesh. We have to guard our hearts from pride. Pride is a heart thing. The Bible talks about uh, someone having a haughty spirit or a prideful heart. We have to guard our hearts from covetousness. We have to guard our hearts from resentment, from bitterness. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The moment you allow bitterness into your heart, right, that bitter root, it grows, it develops, and it ends up defiling many. When you're defiled, when you're in that defiled state, you end up doing certain things you never thought you would ever do. And you see it in society, don't you? You see a husband who cheats on his wife and his wife becomes very judgmental and critical about it. Resentment builds up in her heart. In her heart, She becomes bitter. And after some time, you look at her lifestyle and she's doing the same thing. The same thing, sometimes even worse than what her husband had done. And you're like, where is that coming from? Bitterness defiles. Bitterness defiles. And it has to be uprooted. You see, it's a root of bitterness. It's a root of bitterness. You see someone becomes bitter towards their boss. And after a couple of years, they're now stealing from the company. And they justify it because of what these people did to me. Because of what these people did to me, I can do this to them. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 4, it says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Now, it's not saying you can't have an elaborate hairstyle. It's not saying you can't uh, wear gold jewelry or fine clothes. Not saying that. It says that shouldn't be the source of your beauty. It shouldn't be the primary source of your beauty. It says in verse 4, rather it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Some translations say, which is precious in God's sight. We must guard the precious things. What's precious to, to the Lord? The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. You see, being full of peace. When talking about a gentle and quiet spirit, what's a quiet spirit? I'm not talking about someone who's a quiet person. It's talking about your spirit being quiet. All right? You're at rest in God. Peace in your heart is very valuable to the Lord, you see, because it doesn't short-circuit the anointing. Fear, anxiety, short-circuits the anointing, right? What do you value and in turn guard more? Your outward appearance or the state of your heart? Let's be honest. 
Many of us spend a lot of time, invest a, in a lot of time combing the hair, making sure we look nice. Okay, those of you with hair, making sure you look nice, how you dress and so on. Now, it's fine to spend time, you know, working on your brand and looking good and so on. But in comparison to guarding your heart and nurturing your heart, where does that lie? A gentle and quiet spirit is a heart full of peace. Guard your peace. Guard your peace. Let me just say something. Peace is also a weapon we can use to guard our hearts. The Bible talks about how let the peace of God guard your hearts and minds, right? Because when I'm at peace, then my mind can function aright. My heart can function aright. But when I'm not at peace, my mind gets into all sorts of stuff, you see? So guard your peace. God values this because he can use it. It doesn't short circuit the anointing. So that's the first thing we're called to do to guard our hearts. So crucial because from your heart flows the issues of life. The Bible says from your heart flows all the things that you do. The second thing we're called to guard is our spiritual inheritance. You called to guard your spiritual inheritance. This is so important. Guard your spiritual inheritance. There are promises God has blessed you with. There's an anointing on your life. You see, when we talk about spiritual inheritance, we talk about the mantle on your life. We're talking about the anointing on your life, the spiritual gifts that you walk in. God has called us to guard the anointing and there are practical things we can do when we're guarding the anointing on our lives. You know, before you minister, before you go and pray for people, what are you doing? Are you getting into fights with your spouse? What are you doing? Just guard the anointing, guard the anointing. Sometimes it's important to avoid certain conversations before you minister, to not talk to too many people before you minister because you need to guard the anointing. There are certain things that short circuit the anointing. Sometimes certain thoughts will short circuit the anointing. I've had times where I feel God's presence on me. Then the moment I have a certain thought, it might be a critical thought towards someone, I just feel the glory lift immediately. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Guard your spiritual inheritance. Don't be like Esau who valued the flesh more than receiving a mantle and spiritual blessing of being the firstborn. Esau was a short-term thinker. He was just thinking, I want to eat. I want to eat. I want to eat now. And he forfeited his, his birthright because of his immediate gratification that he wanted, right? Is your life characterized by the pursuit of a spiritual inheritance? Where you're just saying, Lord, I'm desperate for more of you. Lord, I want to grow in the anointing. Lord, I want to grow in spiritual authority. Do you guard the anointing on your life or is your life characterized by illicit cravings? Just think about that. Let's just think about that. What are the things that short circuit the anointing on your life? And a powerful picture of this is this picture I've been talking about of Jacob and Esau. Right? They were twins. They were twins. And um, I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 25, verse 27 to 34. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac who had a taste for wild game, that was their father, right? Um, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished, hungry. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That, that is why he was also called Edom. 
Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. First sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And sometimes we look at this and we think it's extreme, and we think, how could Esau have done that? But I'm telling you right now, there are people today, believers today, who are doing it right now who are doing it right now because God has blessed them, God has called them, but they're trading the calling in for something else that's worth far less. They're thinking short term. They're thinking quick fix. They're desperate. They're in desperate situations. And you see people dropping out of the ministry that God has called them to simply because times are tough. They need cash. They need this. They need that. Be careful not to despise your spiritual inheritance. Be careful not to despise the mantle on your life. Guard it. Guard it dearly. Be careful not to despise your calling in God. You see, to despise is to feel contempt or deep repugnance for something. It's to look down on something or someone with disrespect or aversion. What do I mean by repugnance? I'm talking about something being distasteful towards you. To despise is to regard something as negligible worthless, insignificant, distasteful. It doesn't matter. I want other things and I want them now. This is not that important. I'm telling you now, there are many people who have despised their callings, who have despised their primary callings, and they're doing good things out there, right? It's not like what Esau was doing was bad. It's not like his hunting and what he was doing for his father was evil or sinful. But in the process of it, In the process of doing so, he sought that and he wanted to fill his appetite and his cravings and he lost his birthright. The third thing God has called us to God because it's so, so precious is Christocentricity. Jesus must remain central. It's possible to be in ministry but not have Jesus central. Protect your intimacy with Jesus like Mary did. Jesus even guarded this on her behalf. This is so powerful. Look how he reacts to Martha in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Now, that's an important thing, isn't it? But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Just have a look at that. She was distracted. Distracted from what? Distracted from the main thing. She wasn't keeping the main thing the main thing. Here you have the son of God coming into your home. The son, what a privilege. Remember with Zacchaeus, when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I must enter your home. Zacchaeus saw that as a privilege. Wow, this is amazing. He's coming to my home. Now Martha has Jesus coming into uh, her home. And instead of sitting and listening to these words of life, these words of life, she's distracted. You can be distracted by good things, ladies and gentlemen. You can be distracted by your serving. You can be distracted by all sorts of activities. And she believes she was doing the right thing. And you can see the judge critic in her, can't you? 
says, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Now look at it from Martha's perspective. Many, many of you would understand. Preparations for what? Well, they had Jesus coming along and he had entered her house. Maybe they were preparing food for him and, and um, the other disciples. Right? I mean, that's a good thing. If you, had, if you have Jesus coming in and you think you're being hospitable, you're doing this, but it's described as it was a distraction. It was a distraction. And many of us are distracted by things that are good things, but they're not the main thing. I want to encourage you, keep the main thing the main thing. Don't sweat the small stuff. Christocentricity is Christ central to your life. And it's interesting because she then said, uh, she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? So it's interesting. She was almost, it was almost like she was being critical towards Jesus because she was seeing what's happening. And she's thinking, she's so deceived actually, because she's thinking, but I'm doing this. My sister's just sitting, listening to Jesus. And Jesus is just carrying on talking Jesus, aren't you phased by this? Don't you have an issue with the fact that my sister's leaving? I, I don't know who she wanted Jesus to carry on talking to. Okay, maybe, maybe it was a group of people. Maybe it wasn't just Martha, right? And then she goes on to say, then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Isn't that true for many of us today? I believe this is the word for some of you. You're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. And that one thing that is necessary, guard it, guard it. And he says, for Mary has chosen the good part. Mary has chosen the good part. And then he goes on to say, which shall not be taken away from her. So Jesus was protective over Mary. It's almost like he's saying, don't do that. I'm sure Martha was the older sister, it seems, right? Don't do that. Leave her alone. Just, just, just leave her. He was protective over that. It's one of the things Jesus once guarded in our lives. Christocentricity, our intimacy with him. So my question to you is this. What or whom do you fiercely protect because you cherish them? Christ must remain central to our faith. His name is precious. His blood is often described as the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it says, But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, do you still see his blood as precious? Or do you value your own works over his blood? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. I don't know about you, but the things that God finds precious, I want to find precious. They might be rejected by human beings, by mankind, but God finds them precious. The fourth precious thing that we need to guard is a strong finish. A strong finish. In the book of Psalms 116 verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. When someone who's been faithfully serving God dies, it's precious to the Lord. And you see, the key thing here is that they were faithful. It doesn't just say the death of his servants is, is something precious to him. It says his faithful servants. In other words, the ones that finished strong, the ones that stayed true to the cause. 
You see, they'd fulfilled their purpose. And this is a win for God. You know, the death of a faithful person is described in the Bible as precious to God because they finished strong. And you can see that this was a great value for Jesus. And that's why when he had finished in his ministry, what did he say? He said, tetelestai, right? Paid for in full. It's done. I finished the work that you had given me to do. You see, finishing strong is so crucial. Look at these scriptures that highlight that finishing your assignment strongly was actually precious to the Lord. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, it says, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. They were faithful and their deeds follow them. It's something to be celebrated. That's why when someone dies in the Lord and they've been faithfully serving them, it's a place of rejoicing. Look at their deeds. Look at the impact they had. This is something precious. So what does it mean? What does it mean in my life if I'm guarding finishing strong? It means that I'm making sure I've got guardrails in my life that will ensure that I finish strong, not just starting strong. You know, many people struggle to finish strong. Think of all your relatives and people who you know who still talk about great revivals that they were part of way back, right? But uh, today, they're not walking in that manner, are they? You know, it's interesting when we are training, when we are running, for example, running up hills. I don't really enjoy that that much. But running up hills when we're training is actually an interesting thing. My wife purposefully runs steadily because she loves to finish strong. You know, I tend to just race up the hill in order to avoid the pain of it. I'm like, my love, I just, I just can't bear this pain of going up this hill so long. So I'm going to just go very quickly. Unfortunately, my approach doesn't work too well, right? Because I want to rest at the top of the hill while my wife just motors on, motors on steadily. Let me share with you a story from Stephen uh, Farah's book, Finish Strong. Some of you are familiar with that book. I also quoted this um, in my book on practical pastoring. John Bezagno has been pastoring uh, First Baptist of Houston for a number of years. When John was about to finish college, he was having dinner at his fiancé's house one night. After supper, he was talking with his future father-in-law, Dr. Paul Beck, out, of the po- out on the porch. Dr. Beck had been in ministry for years, and that was inevitably the subject towards which the conversation turned. John, as you get ready to enter the ministry, I want to give you some advice. Dr. Beck told the younger man, stay true to Jesus. Make sure that you keep your heart true to Jesus every day. It's a long way from here to where you are going, going to go. And Satan is in no hurry to get you. This is an important principle, by the way. Often the enemy waits for you to be influencing so many people. And then that thing that is a ticking time bomb, it explodes and it affects so many people. The older man continued, It has been my observation that just one out of 10 who start out in full-time service for the Lord at 21 are still on track by the age of 65. They get shot down morally. They're shot down with discouragement. They're shot down with liberal theology. They get obsessed with making money. But for one reason or another, nine out of 10 fall out. The 20-year-old Bezagno was shocked. I just can't believe that, he said. That's impossible. That just can't be true. Bezagno told how he went home, 
how he took one of those blank pages in the back of his Schofield reference Bible and wrote down the names of 24 young men who were his peers and contemporaries. These were young men in their 20s that were sold out for Jesus Christ. They were trained for ministry and burning in their desire to be used for the Lord. These were the committed young preachers who would make an impact for the Lord in their generation. Bizagno relates the following with a sigh. I'm now 53 years old. From time to time, as the years have gone by, I've had to turn back to that page in my Bible and cross out a name. I wrote down those 24 names when I was just 20, 20 years of age. 33 years later, there are only three names remaining of the original 24. I like what Steve Forrest said, in the Christian life, it's not how you start that matters, it's how you finish, it's how you finish. And this is something we need to guard. I don't know about you, but I want to finish strong. I wanna have a vision of how I'm gonna finish strong. The fifth thing that we need to guard that is so precious is specific people, our relationship with specific people. See, there are relationships that we've been called to God because they are actually precious. You know, just like the prophets of old, many destiny helpers are being sent to believers today, but they're not being guarded. Those relations are not being protected. People get frustrated. People get familiar with other people and they just leave those people. They just ignore those people. Guard your God-given relationships. We must guard our relationships, for example, with our spouses. And let me unpack this one a bit. In Proverbs 31 verse 10, it says, A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. We've got a lot of men who are married to wonderful wives. And sometimes the man will do something extremely foolish. And you, you're thinking to yourself, but look at your wife. Look, you've got a good wife. You've got a wife of noble character. What were you doing? You know, the moment she turns 40, you traded her in for 220s. What were you thinking? Right? A wife of noble character. Who can find she's worth far more than rubies? Now, I know some women are getting excited. Yes, 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 I'm worth far more than rubies. But please note, it doesn't just say a wife. It says a wife of noble character. And it's important. It's important. Now, there's certain questions that you can ask yourself to actually help you to guard specific relationships. Obviously, there's your relationship with your spouse. There's certain relationships with people who you look up to spiritually, right? There are relationships with parents. There are relationships with specific friends that God has called into your life. What are you doing to guard them? Let me ask you some questions, or these are questions you can ask yourself. Am I relating to my spouse like they're worth far more than rubies? With regards to the people I care about the most, what do they need from me that only I can give them? Am I giving them that? What's my purpose in person X's life? What's the enemy's strategy against my relationship with person Y? It's important to know that. Oh, the enemy's strategy is envy. Oh, the enemy strategy is people are going to gossip about that person. I'm going to fall for it one day. Oh, the enemy strategy is for me to be irritated because of that one habit that I don't like. And then I judge them based on one, that one habit. But there's so many wonderful things about that person and they've been called into my life. What guardrails can I put in place to ensure that I do not become too familiar with person Z? These are things we need to ask ourselves. 
Sometimes we have to create certain rituals or certain things that we schedule just to make sure we maintain certain relationships. A lot of us are very good at initiating relationships, but we're not good at nurturing those relationships. Are they destiny helpers that God sent into my life, but I've ignored them, I've despised them, I've dishonored them, and now those are relationships to rebuild? Ask yourself these questions. The sixth thing that we need to guard and treasure is God's word. The Bible says that I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. This is so important. When God's word is deep in our heart, it protects us, doesn't it? You know, the word of God in our lives will always be under attack. This is why Jesus tells us uh, in the parable of the sower that the word can be choked up by certain things. The cares of this world, worries, it can be stolen. It can be uprooted by various things. You see, the enemy knows that the word is powerful, so he wants to take it from us. We're called to desire wisdom from above. What's the source of wisdom? His word. And after receiving that wisdom, we must cherish it. We must guard it. Don't just listen to a sermon and then just carry on doing what you're doing. There's some people who say, I listened to that sermon three times. I've listened to that sermon five times. I listened to that sermon. Then I went to a prayer meeting where we were praying through the word. What is that person doing? They're guarding the word that they've received. It's so important because we lose so many things that are actually precious. In 1 Kings chapter 10, I'm going to read verse 2 and verse 10. It's the time, it's the account of the uh, Queen of Sheba coming through and honoring Solomon because of his wisdom. And when you see how she lavished him with all sorts of riches and treasures and gifts, you can clearly see that she valued his wisdom above those things because she was willing to trade in those particular things. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. Why did she do that? She had heard about his wisdom. She had heard about his wisdom. Clearly, she valued Solomon's wisdom more than riches. Our source of wisdom must be the word. Look how precious the word was to the psalmist. In Psalm 139, verses 17 to 18, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Isn't that powerful? The Bible is full of God's thoughts. But how precious are they to you? You see, if they're not precious to you, you won't meditate on them. God's thoughts actually often manifest as promises. His thoughts toward you manifest often as promises. His promises are described in the word as great and precious promises. Right? These great and precious promises that we've received. Are you guarding the promises that God has made? Do you see these promises as great and precious? Peter treasured the word that was from Jesus. When Jesus taught a difficult message in Capernaum and said, can you drink of my blood? Can you eat of my flesh? It says many of his disciples left him from that point onwards. And then he went and he looked at the disciples, the, the inner circle, I guess, and said, and you guys, are you also going to leave? And Peter says, how can we leave? 
Your words are spirit and life. Your words are spirit and life. He couldn't leave Jesus because he valued the word. Let's treasure the word. Let's value it. Let's keep it. Let's guard it. The seventh thing we are called to guard that's so precious. You're called to guard your faith. You're called to guard your faith. I want to encourage you, don't slip into unbelief. It's so easy to slip into unbelief. Sometimes we feel discouraged and we just say, I feel discouraged. But what's actually happened is we've slipped into unbelief. You see, we just call it something else. It's not easy to say, yeah, I'm in, I'm in unbelief, guys. I'm in unbelief, right? It's much easier to say, I felt discouraged. I was in despair concerning this. I felt disillusioned. It's much easier to use these other terms, but very often there's a root of unbelief that ends up rising up within us. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. An unbelieving heart is sinful. An unbelieving heart is sinful. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, it says, These have come so that the, prov- the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What is, what is more precious than gold? The genuineness of your faith. The genuineness of your faith. A genuine faith is precious to God. A genuine faith doesn't perish. Doesn't perish. Gold perishes. A genuine faith results in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Many people are slipping into unbelief without knowing it. Their hearts are being hardened. The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. So if you are guarding the word, it helps you to guard your faith. And then finally, the eighth thing we need to be guarding against, and this is so important, your reputation, your reputation. And sometimes we listen to this and we're like, but reputation, that's just impression management, isn't it? No, no. You see, your reputation is valuable. And this is why some people are sued for reputational damage, right? People will come to you for business because of your reputation, because of your good name. People will attend your church because they see that, oh, there's so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so goes there and they've got a good name. I'm also going, right? Your reputation is linked to your credibility. This is so important. And your credibility is based on three major aspects. It's based on your character and integrity. It's also based on your competence. There's some people who are integrous, but they're not good at what they do. So they don't have a good reputation. You see, they are trustworthy, but they don't know how to deliver something good, something excellent. And then your credibility is also based on your ability to inspire. And inspiration often comes from your courage. You have some people who are competent, They've got strong character and integrity, but they're not inspirational. You're not inspired by them. So you forget about them very quickly because they're not courageous. They're not courageous. How are heroes formed? They're ordinary people like you and me, but they're courageous. They do things that everyone else was afraid of doing, right? Your credibility, credibility comes from the word credo, Latin word credo, which literally means I trust in or I believe in. 
your reputation is very valuable. You see, many people don't think through how certain behavior or certain associations can actually impact on their reputation. But it happens all the time, doesn't it? And can impact on your reputation negatively. Now, there's a fine line between guarding your reputation and then on the other extreme, being too concerned about what people think. And because of this, many Christians actually fail to guard their reputations under the guise of, don't be concerned about what people think of you. Don't be a people pleaser. You can't control other people's perception of you. And then they go the extreme of, so I don't care. But they mess up their reputation in the process. See, reputation is to do with a widespread belief about you as opposed to an isolated case of Joe Bloggs who doesn't like you saying bad things about you. That will always happen. We'll experience persecution. See, <clears throat> let, me, let me unpack it this way. We need to renew our minds on this matter. It's crucial. Your reputation affects the reputation of the church and ultimately how people view salvation. That's how important it is, the reputation of a believer. So it's important to actually care about your reputation. And this is why uh, people are paid lots of money today to manage certain people's reputations. And I know they're extremes. I know that there's some people who lack character and then now uh, people are around them trying to prop them up to try and give them a good reputation. That's not what I'm talking about. This is why the apostles were concerned about the reputation of church people. It was even one of the qualifications of being an overseer in the church, wasn't it? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, it says he must also, it's talking about someone who's to be an overseer, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. It's important. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, I like it in the NLT, it says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Right? In other words, be careful to have a good reputation amongst them. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So how are you coming across, not just to the people in the church, but also to your unbelieving neighbors? Are you doing certain things that are sending across the wrong message? In Proverbs 22 verse 1, it says, a good name is more desirable than great wealth. Respect is better than silver or gold. A lot of people will cut corners just to make a quick buck, but in the process, their reputation is ruined. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1, it says, A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume, and the day you die is better than the day you are born. Finish strong. Finish strong. One of the things is uh, about being born is that we all, you know, in level playing field, aren't we? Born there. We've just started our lives, right? But what happens after 10 years? What happens after 20 years? What happens after 60 years? You can see the difference. This is what this person has done with their lives. This is what this person has done with their lives. It's a bit like starting a marathon together. Fast runners, slow runners, everyone is there, right? Everyone is, in a sense, equal at the start. But what happens? After a number of hours, you realize this one actually did the marathon in two minutes. Um, in, well, that's not two minutes, can't be two minutes, two hours, right? In two hours and five minutes, top runner, right? This one did it in three hours. This one here did it in four hours. This one in eight hours, okay? 
After the start line, we're all different. The day you die is better than the day you were born. Why? Because the day you die, you can look back and you realize this is what I did and your deeds follow you. Your deeds follow you into eternity. Isn't that powerful? I like what George Washington said. A reputation once broken may possibly be repaired, but the world will always keep their eyes on the spot where the crack was. <laughs> Interesting. A reputation once broken may possibly be repaired, but the world will always keep their eyes on the spot where the crack was. I like Warren Buffett, what he said in typical Buffett wisdom. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently, okay? Many people take years to build a strong personal brand and then something that just takes them a few minutes to do literally destroys their brand. In the wisdom of Socrates, this is quite interesting. The way to gain a good reputation is to endeavor to be what you desire to appear. This is so important. A lot of people focus on impression management, but when we talk about a good reputation, I love this. The way to gain a good reputation is to endeavor to be what you desire to appear. Powerful statement. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask that you'd help us in these eight areas, these things that you describe in your word as precious, that, Father, we would guard these things. Lord, may you give us the tools that we need in order to guard these things. Give us that peace that guards our hearts and mind. Give us the things that we need, God, in order to have guardrails in our lives. Maybe it's coaching questions we need to be asking ourselves. Maybe it's accountability to people around us. Father, may you help us as we rebuild those relationships that we should have been guarding, that should have been precious to us, that we should have been cherishing. Help us to humble ourselves and rebuild what we need to rebuild. Father, help us as intercessors, as watchmen, as prayer warriors to guard the precious things. Father, I pray for each person that is listening to this message that you would speak to each one and that you would continue ministering to each one by your spirit and reveal to each one which things should be precious in their lives. Which areas are they valuing things that you don't really value? Which areas of their lives are they despising the things that you deem to be precious? Father, we ask for your help and we invite you into this space. Come and have your way, Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you.